our peace is out there. We're adapted to it. We're so used to being out on the land. We enjoy it so much that sometimes we don't even want to go home. It's like a competition back in the day. They, while their husbands go hunting, the woman throat saying to kill time or like to put their babies to sleep. I feel proud. That sound, it's so good and like amazing. It's make me feel so like myself. That's Joyce Ashavak, Martha Niviaciak, and Roger Olikatalik, three of my excellent students in Telukruk Nunavut, part of the Canadian Geographic Passing the Mic program, giving Inuk youth the tools to tell their own stories to the world. We'll hear some of their amazing stories on this episode of Explore, the Canadian Geographic podcast. Welcome to all you explorers out there, armchair and in motion. I'm your host, David McGuffin. And those incredible voices you're hearing right now are throat singers, Joyce and Martha, from Turluck Rock. It is the northernmost community in mainland Canada, situated on a beautiful peninsula of rolling rocky hills, jutting into the Arctic Ocean and teeming with wildlife. I got to spend an amazing week with them and 15 other students at the Netsilik School last October, teaching them interviewing, storytelling, and podcasting. We'll hear their stories over the next two episodes. I started with these three young people in this episode because their stories are rooted in the land and Inuit traditions, and you can feel the positive impact it has on them. A strong connection to Inuit roots has proven to be an important part in overcoming crises around mental health and addiction, which are much bigger issues in these northern communities than the rest of Canada. The Passing the Mic program was made possible with the support of Polar Knowledge Canada and also by listeners like you who donated to the RCGS Polar Plunge fundraiser. The third annual Polar Plunge fundraiser is taking place this March 4th in rivers, lakes and oceans right across Canada. To find out how you can participate and donate, go to rcgs.org forward slash polar plunge you'll be helping make this kind of unique Canadian storytelling possible in the future. And now, let's join Martha and Joyce. They're both high school students at the Netsilik School who have been throat singing for several years. It's an amazing thing to be in the presence of. And I'll add too, in this interview, you'll hear them both refer to the sea cans as a place where they meet and practice. Those are the large containers in the town's port. They're brought in on supply barges twice a year. There are no roads connecting this remote community to the rest of Canada. My name is Joyce Ashivak. My name is Martha Nivakshev. Excellent. So you guys are both throat singers and you've been doing some demonstrations for us and it's really good. I'm just wondering if, for the listeners now, if you could do a demonstration. Okay, yeah. We're gonna do the E-U-R. <coughs> That's excellent. Wow. So tell us what that one was about. What was 
that EUR that's Inuk Tutut syllabics. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The first ones are EUR. And in the middle part, you can hear Taluk Rock Nunavut. Oh, nice. So, which is our town that we're in right yeah. now. So, that's lovely. Um, well, thanks for sharing that. So, it's in, in, so that's syllabics. It's like your alphabet, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 So, tell me about how you both got into to, to doing throat singing. Like, wh- how did that start for you, Joyce? For me, I tried at a young age with my cousin Jada. And then I got older and we were out one time late in the morning and we were hanging out at sea cans and one of my friends started throat singing alone. So we tried and after that we just kept going. Wow. So how old were you then, do you think? Like... 13, 14. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And are there elders in town that help can teach you too? Or are you just learning by yourself? Or? We learn by ourselves. That's excellent. Yeah. And are there competitions and stuff that you can do in th- with throat singing? No. Not so much, yeah. eh? But you do it in community? Yeah. yeah. There's a leader and a follower. And it's like a competition back in the day. They, while the, uh, their husbands go hunting, the woman throat sing to kill time or like to put their babies to sleep. Oh, yeah. amazing. So, with, so, so you, there's a leader and a follower, and how does that work? The leader is the one who goes first, and the follower is who follows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And are they imitating you, or how does that work? Like, what's the, what's the follower? Or is the follower doing something different? Or? Um, the, the follower makes the same sound I make like I do a sound I change and she have to change with me and, and Martha tell me about how you started throat singing I started throat singing when I was about like 13 or 14 do other people in your family do that no just I just started throat singing with her we all started at from my friend at when we were hanging out at the sea can. Yeah, at the same time, yeah. What feeling does it give you when you do it? How do you feel? I feel like it makes me feel like good and proud. and. Yeah, those are good feelings. Yeah, yeah. those are good to have. How about you, Joyce? How does it make you feel? It makes me proud knowing, like, I'm proud to be Inuk and that's what we do. Like, because some people can't do it. And I'm proud that I could do it and I could, I don't know, I feel proud. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we did it for the class, everyone in the class was very quiet and everyone was gathered around and watching you. And like, it's something people are really interested in. Yeah. So are there other people like in the community that do it, that, that you watch or yeah. learn from? Yeah. yeah. And it's only women that do that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like only women do it, but there's some men that can do it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. that's not traditional for the yeah. men. Yeah. So are there actual different kinds of songs for different things? Yeah. yeah? Can there's you some stores behind some, or some people just like make them. Yeah, yeah. so they're actually songs with, yeah. with lyrics almost. like. Yeah. No, it's not like lyrics, it, you just make the sound. Mm. You just make the sound with your mm. throat. So when you're doing it, I mean, it seems very physical. Like, it seems like, do you get tired when you're doing it? Yeah, you get tired. Your lungs, your jaw, 
your throat's good your throat gets dry yeah 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 and how's what's the longest that you can do uh, a song for i'm not sure i in class today you guys i think went three minutes is that a long yeah, one yeah yeah yeah. Is this something that you think you would teach your children? or? Yes, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. Part of my culture, so I have to pass it down to them. Yeah. And it is, like you say, it's very unique, isn't mm. it? Back in the day, they, you know, everything is unique. We never knew about, they, like, they never lived like, the, like how we do now. We still have some things from that day that we do now like it's a lot people can learn like hunting and like throat singing inuit games and more that's great well thank you guys do you want to do one more throat song yeah yeah, yeah. cool Awesome. How do you feel now? I feel proud and like the sound just makes me like it's so good and like amazing. It's make me feel so like myself and so proud. Do you forget about your troubles when you do that? Yeah. 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 How about you, Joyce? Yes. It makes you forget about troubles. And how do you feel like right now just having finished? I feel more relaxed and more good. Makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Well, thank you both, eh? And now to Roger Olikatalik. We actually met his grandfather, Jimmy, on this podcast last fall in an episode focused on his efforts to create the first Inuit-run conservation area anywhere in the world. 
Go check that out if you haven't already. You'll enjoy it. Roger is a chip off that block, for sure. In his last year in high school, he spends as much time as he can out on the land, hunting to provide for his family and the community. This interview goes into detail about that. The Inuit have been hunting in a responsible and sustainable way for over a thousand years up here. And it's important to note that hunting is a central part of food security in the north. I'm Roger Liketulik, and I'm from Tullokrak, Nunavut, and I'm a young hunter. So tell me about the first time you remember going hunting on the land. First time I went hunting is with my father. I was about eight, eight or nine years old, and I remember as we were heading out, I can remember which area we was going by because I didn't know which areas were because that was new to me. So I kept looking back. And if I remember that area, I can, like, make it home from that area. You're looking at the landscape and everything going by. So yeah. Maybe you were a little bit nervous about getting stuck on the land. Yeah. Yeah. What were you hunting on that trip? Do you remember? We was looking for caribou that day. That day we didn't see any. Yeah, we was on the wrong, wrong area that day. Was the caribou the first animal you, you shot and killed? or? Uh, yes, I believe that. Yeah. And I was like about nine years old. Yeah, I remember that. It was during the spring. We were using machines, snowmobile, and sleds. It was springtime. We were looking around for caribou. Once we stopped where we want to go to our destination, we seen caribou. And like, we started chasing them. Five to seven minutes of chasing the caribou, they started getting out of breath, so they slowed down. When they stopped, we started shooting. The last shot, uh, my father, he was holding the rifle and he told me to pull the trigger. So like, the kick is too strong for me, so, we did that, and I caught my first caribou that day. How did that feel? And that was exciting, like my first big animal to catch. Yeah, yeah. yeah we celebrated that day. Had frozen caribou that day. Oh, amazing! And we gave some out to elders, and it felt nice to give out to elders that time, because. Elders get very happy for like country meat. Mm-hmm. Country yeah. meat, yeah. And and so, how important is like caribou f- as a food source for you? It, it's like our soul food. Like every time we have it, very good for us. Like we're all excited. Yeah. Everybody's having country food. Yeah. yeah. Soul food is that what you yeah. say? Yeah, soul that's awesome. food. Yeah. yeah, it's like you guys have been eating that forever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great. And so, and you're now what, 17, 18? 18 years old now. Mm-hmm. 18, yeah. yeah. So what was, so that was your first caribou hunt. I'm curious how it went, like this, this season. It's, we're coming towards the end, I think, now of the caribou season, right? Yeah. 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 How, how was it this year for you? Yeah, it was pretty nice. I got quite a bit of caribou this year. I'm surprised at how many caribou I caught this year. 20 to 25 caribou altogether this year. That's enough for the whole winter 
that keeps you going the whole winter. Wow, yeah. That's great. So that's great for your family and I guess your extended family too, your yeah. grandparents. And so you told me too, you've, uh, you've hunted polar bear before. Is that right? Yeah. I was with my family. Like on my 17th birthday, was planning on that for like about two weeks and just decided to go on my birthday and sure enough, I got one polar bear on my birthday, 17th birthday. Wow. So I think of a polar bear as being very, very dangerous, right? So, I mean, tell me, I mean, how do you even go about, like, wh- how, where are you going to find the polar bear and how long does that take? And We prepare a night before we go, the sleds, the machine, our equipment, and, like, we get everything ready and once we get up from the trip we're about to go to, mm-hmm. uh, we just eat very quickly, get our warm stuff on, head out. It's a place called Itraktukvik. Mm-hmm. It's so an not, ocean. It's on the, like on the ocean, edge yeah, of the on ocean. The ocean. Yeah. yeah, it's late spring. I went. It's about two two hour drive. Mm-hmm. Out from mm-hmm. Taluk Rock. So, yeah, so you're taking snowmobiles out there? Uh, so yeah, snowmobile and s- sled yeah. commutics. Yeah. So like, how, do you, how do you find it? Like, how, I mean, it seems, you know, there, it's, it's, there's a lot of land out here. How do you know? Oh, yeah, it? it's uh, the polar bear tracks, yeah. Yeah. We track them down. We can tell if they're getting closer and closer from the tracks. Yeah. Like feel the warmth of the tracks. So by looking at the tracks, you can tell if they're new or yeah, or old or if they're fresh or old. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, mid, it was like midday now. We started having tea because we're tired of driving around looking for tracks. Polar bears start having tea. After having tea and snacking around, we start looking for s- tracks again. Maybe after five, ten minutes after looking around, after having tea, we noticed the tracks were so warm and can tell it's really fresh, the tracks. So we started tracking them even faster now. And sure enough, the polar bear was right there. Yeah. 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 After that, uh, after we seen the polar bear, me and my brother-in-law, um, we took the sled off, grabbed our rifles, and just send like. So you have to, like, yeah. we have to rush, like. Yeah, but you're on you're on foot now, yeah. No, we're on machine. Then. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're yeah. chasing after the polar bear. Yeah, because he knows you're coming at yeah. this point. Yeah can hear us and smell us now yeah so like we have to rush and drive fast and like just to be near it the yeah. polar bear yeah and once it stopped you get off the machine and shoot at the caribou uh polar bear mm-hmm. and after after it's down yeah it might be playing dead Okay, but tell me about, so how far away from it are you when you're shooting it? 30, 40 feet away. So pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. How big is it? Do you know? Like uh, it was about six, 
six feet long. Yeah. Yeah. They weigh a lot. Yeah. 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 Weigh a lot. Yeah. It stopped because it's getting tired, maybe, or what? Yeah. yeah. We we tired, we tired it out. So mm-hmm. once it stopped, I got off the machine and took out my rifle. Yeah. What does the polar bear do then? Is he turning and facing you or is he coming at you? Yeah, it's facing towards us, looking at us, yeah. puffed out. Yeah. What's puffed out mean? What's like that? out of breath. Oh, okay. Like out of breath and looking at us. And once I get a good shot of it, I take the shot. Yeah. And once it goes down, it might happen to like play dead. Right. So it's... So so like you took one one shot and one it shot, dropped. It dropped. It's a shot to the heart, is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, just to make sure it's dead, we walk around to its backside when it's laying down, and with our rifle, we poke just like around the polar bear to see if it's dead or alive. Yeah. And when we're done poking it and it don't move, that means it's dead. If we poke it and it try attack, that's that's when we know we have to shoot it again. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's a very dangerous moment. Yeah. Yeah. You must be very. Are you nervous? When yeah, you're I was up? very nervous that day because, like, that's one of my first experience with trying to hunt polar bear. So your grandfather was telling us that they sometimes play dead too. Yeah. Yeah. So they can they wait for you to come and then they jump on you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big scary animal. Yeah, <laughs> Roger. Yeah. So, but it was definitely dead. So then, what do you? And then, so what, what's the next step for? Uh, the next step is after checking if it's dead, you just start skinning and butchering it, making sure everything is good, like the meat. Yeah. If it's sick or not. Yeah. Check if it's a female or male because yeah. of our tags we have to use. Oh, right, because you're only allowed to hunt so many. Yeah, year, right. And, yeah. Like a mother and two cubs who can hunt, but like alone polar bears we can hunt. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a lone male, was it? Yeah. It was a female. Yeah. 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 So no cubs and it was a young, yeah. young polar bear female. Yeah. Yeah. So the fur, what do you do with the, the skins? Yeah. Uh, the fur. I made ski pants. Anyway. Polar bear ski pants, yeah. Yeah. Are they those are super warm? I'm super warm, yeah. So I've been talking to a few hunters here and stuff and everyone's saying the stuff made out of skins, out of furs, is so much better than stuff made by Columbia or Canada goose or Yeah. The animals here are so adaptive to the weather and they're not even cold from their like fat and skin, their fur. Yeah, this stuff's been tested out for thousands and thousands of years, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, it's ad- adapted, right? Yeah. And with most of the animals you catch, you really, you guys eat or use most of everything, right? Yeah, pretty much everything, all, all animals. We like even use the bones too for like making handles for like ulus or snow knife. Nothing's really wasted at all. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the traditions that you learned from your father and your grandfather. Yeah. What feelings do you get being out on the land? What feeling does it give you? It's like our peace is out there. Like, we're adapted to it. We're so used to out being out on the land. 
we enjoy it so much that sometimes we don't even want to go home, you know, like stay another night or stay a few hours more than we wanted to. It's that kind of feeling, you know. For us, it's like joyful out there. Yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. It, yeah. And it, it, so I, I haven't seen a lot, but it's beautiful up here. It's like a beautiful place. But I think for people from down south, they think it's just very cold and covered in snow. And yeah. But you see a whole different thing out there. Yeah. So you're a young man, you're 18, and like I say, your, your father and your grandfather and great-grandfather, everyone's been very involved in this community and the land. And Where do you see Talakrok, this town? Where do you see it in like 20 or 30 years? And where do you see y- you in this town? Um, seeing from a lot of young hunters like myself, like there's so many of young hunters in Talakrok, there's so many of us now, young hunters. We know so much from our fathers and grandfathers. I'd say there's a lot of us going to be good hunters. Who knows, like, somebody might even start a hunting business, any type of hunting business here. Yeah, like guiding and that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you see a future, a good future for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Great. Well, listen, uh, Roger, thank you so much yep. for being a part of this class and for, for sitting down and talking to us a little bit about the interesting things you do with your life. Yep. You too. Thanks. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. Next episode, we'll be hearing the stories produced by the students themselves. They are a fun and fascinating glimpse into life in this unique corner of Canada. And also, please consider donating to the RCGS Polar Plunge to support this podcast and these unique stories. Visit rcgs.org forward slash polar plunge. Until next time, when we'll explore again, I'm David McGuffin. I think right now we're enjoying very much looking back at the Earth, and it's just a, a fantastic experience, and I just can't wait to get back and start telling people. We left Simpson about June 10th with the Fur Brigade consisting of a number of York boats, each man by ten voyageurs. For us, Inuit, it means that Inuit or history is very strong. And we flew over every inch of the country that it could be. We were hoping that he would fire at us. Oh, I guess 160.